0: is packed with timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Andrew Boland for the second time. I asked Andrew to come back to do a Q&A to get his perspective on states of flow, our hierarchy of needs, motivation, problem solving, offline and online communities and education. His mind works in a way that sees the unintuitive and the less obvious insights. Our conversation is very natural and meanders. We ended up speaking for a long time before and after the recording, but what is captured is the core of Andrew's thinking and how he approaches work and its connecting parts.
1: Just before I forget about it, you talked about reading books about um work and work purpose i'm terrible for reading and i wish i did it more but uh one that i did read um halfway through college was um the pleasures and sorrows of work by alan de Botton. i don't know if you've ever heard of him oh, he's yeah. responsible for the school of life on youtube mm. uh, i found that a really excellent read the the rough sort of outline of, of what he's doing is uh he um, examines the, the work life of a number of different, like, highly varied roles. Um, like, he, he goes to, like, um, a fishing boat where they're fishing some tuna. He goes to a biscuit factory and talks, talks to the people who are uh, responsible for the, the sort of business side of that. He talks to a, um, an engineer who is launching a rocket that'll send a, a Japanese satellite into space. And I thought it was really interesting for him to sort of pry apart, um, the ways that people do or don't find purpose in that work um the one that i resonated with the most before reading the book was probably the engineer sending satellites to uh to to orbit but when you read these things you sort of realize that maybe your assumptions are not um they don't play out uh, in practice when you come to be the person who who occupies that position and the same is true of the things that you don't like but i also thought it was interesting that he he highlighted it quite a number of people don't really think about this stuff at all, mm. or at least to a very limited capacity. I think one of the things he said was that when he was talking to uh, some, I think business analyst or something in the biscuit factory, and he, he posed the question of, of meaning in work and uh, got a sort of a blank stare back as if she didn't really know where to, where to address the question or, mm. or even, you know, uh, you know, if the question warranted addressing it at all, like it's a kind of a ridiculous claim that work would, would, uh, deliver purpose. Um, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend that one as a sort of a, yeah. a philosophical discussion of purpose in work and whether or not that's even, um, a responsible thing to pursue. One thing he says at the beginning is that, um, in the same way that, uh, romantic love has been the core of marriage for only a very short time, purpose in work has also been at the core for a very short time. Mm-hmm. You, know, you do what you can do to survive, that you get the work done to, to feed you and your family. Uh, and only now that we have the luxury of most of our, for most of us, our basic human needs are, are addressed uh, by most forms of work. Only then do you start to discover the, um, the, the questions of like, do I actually enjoy this? Mm-hmm. Do, do I want to spend my limited time like this? Because you have uh, the indulgence of being allowed to ask the question.
0: Is there anyone other than um, Maslow who, talks about our hierarchy of needs in that way.
1: Yeah, there is. I can't remember his name. I was talking about this with a friend recently. He's a lot less popular than Maslow. And I actually found that it's quite difficult. It's easy to find information summarised from the like really popular authors and philosophers but as soon as it becomes more contemporary I found it much more difficult to find other people smarter than me summarising what they're trying to say Mm. and trying to dive into the the literature yourself can be quite taxing like reference text is like tough Mm. Um, but yeah I I can't remember his name
0: yeah I feel like we always just default to well yeah Maslow says once you've got some good stuff then you keep going up the pyramid And it just well actually want more context than that and I don't. Feel, yeah. Maybe I, I need to understand Maslow more deeply too, because I feel like I, I certainly have a a gap there where mm-hmm. my only intellectual thought is, well, you hit a certain point, your needs are met, and now you start to look after your own fulfillment rather than your own safety. Firstly, what are you, yourself motivated by, intrinsic motivation or external motivation? Um, and then secondly, whichever one you are, how would you define it? my history of
1: where I've directed efforts in the past. Uh, The the most important thing to me for a a long time, and probably still sits there in the background, is a pursuit of of understanding. That naturally leads into a path towards scientific uh, thinking. So I I pursued uh, science as a teenager and then physics as I got older. Um, And that sort of offers you a framework to reference uh, a lot of otherwise unexplainable behaviours in the world. Uh, it allows you to answer, you know, difficult questions with relative ease in specific domains granted. There's still a lot of stuff that physics can't comprehend or can't address very naturally, uh, but it does offer you a lot of um, foundation to build off of. Uh, so that was really important from a philosophical perspective was understanding the, the place where you exist. And that only became a more sort of introspective question you know about the self and your relationship with others and your world as i got older as a young person it was a younger person it was much more important to understand in absolute terms what is the world composed of? so uh, that was a, a significant motivator beside that um, certainly running parallel uh, is competition there's a, a lot of satisfaction to performing something um, performing something well and um, uh, pushing your ability uh, as far as you can get it to go. Uh, So those two naturally went well together. And I I found that that similar is true when pursuing the work that I'm pursuing now. We're talking about a a skill set, which uh, is highly analytical. So it's really easy to know when you've done it right and wrong. It's really quick to reference um, your your aptitude uh, quantitatively. Uh, so that means that competitive side of it is, is, um, very directed. And in terms of understanding that, that also gels well with, uh, with code because everything is rock solid. Um, and so once you comprehend the, the system as it's built, then you're able to, to navigate solutions a lot more quickly. You know, the boundaries of that system, you know, where its limitations lie, and then you can exploit that to build whatever it is on top. Uh, so the first sort of core things that have directed learning in the past have been understanding and, and then sort of pursuing competition and, and do, striving to do well in whatever it is that you do, pushing your limits. I think that still is reflected in the stage of the career that I'm at. Um, but as you sort of refine those skills, once you're, you're confident in your ability to do something well, then it's a question of what do you do with it? Can you leverage that skill set that's satisfying to to act on to create something that that benefits uh, you know your environment or the the people that you have a relationship with? and that could be you know direct relationships or it can just be you know wider world climate change kind of um, relationship. That's probably where it'll start to move as these sort of um, core requirements become
0: um, addressed almost sounds like it's the pattern of your motivation follows the arc of your life first thing you reference there is a greater understanding of the world that you have come into then that naturally will be one of the first things that you try and grapple with as you come of age Mm -hmm. then as you grow through adolescence you probably want to kind of figure out your place and compete against others and Mm -hmm. you're motivated to be a person inside a pack at a certain status or place and then once you get over those two motivations you somehow then want you recognize that you're part of a live on wider pack which is this big group of people on this rock Mm -hmm. and it becomes how do you contribute to it and it's as you spoke it's kind of it surprised me that, that in some ways the arc of that motivation kind of matches to the arc of our coming of age in some way
1: yeah and i think there's also a little link missing in in the middle there where um once you know you're sort of as a young age trying to understand that the place that you find yourself in because it's a very confusing and and messy affair for a long time there's some really uh, like almost, um, uh, scary behaviors that exist in the world. I, I remember being terrified of thunder and lightning. And as soon as I understood it, it wasn't even an active decision. As soon as I understood it, I found I wasn't afraid of it anymore. There was just no fear. It was just fascination because I understood the limits of its influence. It's like, uh, I heard like, uh, as a child, like this tale, that if you were stood by a window, you would be struck by lightning, which is, um, almost impossible it's a ridiculous claim and so i was terrified of watching it but as soon as that was reasoned with it was it was uh safe again i could enjoy just the the experience of thunder and lightning and so you you understand the environment you find yourself in then you realize you have a relationship to others and you compare yourself to them and they they apply comparisons to you so you're often bumping up against in a competitive sense how are they doing how do they how do they perceive me that like you say in the arc of life is a lot of what adolescence becomes i know that that sort of part of the brain becomes a hell of a lot more active as a teenager almost overactive it becomes less active as you become older Uh, Mm -hmm. so you're you're really questioning where am I in regards to the pack and then as you get older that missing step that I talked about from my perspective was sort of comparing yourself to yourself really just looking at you know where have I come from what am I um, interested in what what do I um, you know uh, get satisfaction out of And once you can address those questions, then you can sort of, I I believe, be sort of the best representation of yourself and use that to help the the things that you care about. You know, if you are trying to leverage skills that don't gel well with uh, the things that uh, you're good at, you won't be doing the best service that you can to the cause that you're interested in. Uh, So that sort of uh, self-discovery step at the beginning, from my perspective, has been super important for realizing the the most effective work that i could be doing for the things i care about
0: when you said that once you understood that lightning wasn't as dangerous as it was just understanding it made you feel more comfortable mm. have you reached the stage now where when you look at your own professional life you feel more comfortable about it and not scared And if so how did you understand that definitely not to the same level it was, it was quite a clear-cut sudden yeah. transition i find because it's such a simple little
1: relationship um between you and that, that element of nature. But I think the, the core requirement here is a comprehensive understanding of the system that you find yourself in. For me, with as little experience as I have only doing this for a year, there's a lot of unknowns and that can make the behavior of searching for work and, and working itself um, a lot less predictable. Things will happen often, like something as simple as you apply for a job that you are sure that you're uh, a perfect fit for, you know, you, you navigate through the, the applications process. You find that you've a good relationship with the people you're talking to. You feel innately like you've, you've done um, the interview tasks well. You feel confident with the, the way that you've approached them. And then they come back and they say, it's a no-go. Sorry. That's a, sort of a, a misunderstanding of where you are and where the, the company is. Uh, so only with, with time and practice and, and understanding, can you get a much closer representation of, of what you expect the company to be thinking uh, or the with a group of people that you're interviewing with. So it definitely gets closer over time, but it's it's not perfect yet. It's, it's very much at its infancy, I feel.
0: What was it for, for you personally that enabled you to find that coming? I mean, because you've moved from engineering disciplines uh, across them and there must've been, perhaps it didn't happen overnight, but a moment where you felt more at least more, kind of existentially comfortable with the the journey that you were taking. It may not have felt practically any easier, but it, maybe there has there been that moment where it's kind of quenched inside you, where you're slightly less angst about it. And if so, like w- when did that happen and and how?
1: I think if I was to draw from something, I would I would uh, think about how in uh, engineering there were frequently times. Um, where I would be learning about something and it's difficult technically. And I just was questioning the purpose of that pursuit, that particular um, vein of of, uh, of knowledge. You know, in, in my case it was about, you know, sort of structures and how forces move through structures. And I was just kind of thinking that this is fine, but it's not tickling any curiosity. Um, I'm not finding myself, you know, pursuing knowledge in that domain of my own accord. Um, whereas when I started to do more coding, um I realized that not only was I naturally drawn to do those things, but um you know, for enjoyment, because it could be argued I was directing that work myself. I was creating things that I was really interested in, but the, the skill set that was required to make them, um, I found that I would get lost in it a lot more readily, you know, time would go by a lot faster because you're not thinking, oh, this is the worst. I just got to get to this next hurdle and this next hurdle. I found that it was a lot more natural to just delve into the problem and you take a break when you're tired and then you come back when you're energized again. So that was sort of a time when I realized that, okay, this, this feels a lot more comfortable. I'm not wishing I was doing something else. And when I'm not doing that, I'm often thinking about some problems that I faced within it. So it seemed a very reasonable rationale for pursuing that further.
0: Why was it the curiosity was linked to software engineering and not the other? And I'm trying to work it out in your specific case. I guess there must be parts to your character that are just pulled more specifically by technology and technology companies and software.
1: If I was to think about it, there's a lot more versatility to software. It um, the skill set required for that domain in engineering, understanding structures, allows you just to understand how structural members interact with each other, mm-hmm. and it's fine. You can use that to create interesting things, but the domain is is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with code, you you could create something utterly pointless and beautiful if you wanted, or something which could really change the lives of a lot of people, uh, or change the life of one person a lot. Uh, It seemed to be um, more um, related to more problems of interest, I found. It's
0: almost as if you've taken a discipline, a skill, a practice, and on its own, that's fine. But without the market on top of it, and the ability to be able to use that skill in a wider setting, be that a commercial setting, or be that a whatever setting, it's this Kind of Goldilocks combination of how can you find the thing that you enjoy doing during right. as practice, yeah. but that attaches to something that's greater, that has more scope. Yeah. That's the really difficult problem to, to try solve when
1: discovering it for yourself. That's why it took so much time, basically, that it, it would have to be um, viable within the market. Uh, software, very fortunately, is probably, in fact, certainly because it's versatility. Um, There are other pursuits that I found that aren't viable financially, but are just as interesting. And it's just a shame that when it comes to work, I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that you're trying to do is is support yourself and anybody else who's dependent on you. So it's just a further condition. You you can pursue those other things if you want in your own time. And and then we just call them hobbies and you can get really good at them. I mean, a number of musicians don't play professionally for money, but they're exceptionally well-skilled and they derive a lot of meaning out of that pursuit. Um, so when it comes to work, yeah, there there is a, a minimum requirement for, for salary. And you just have to reference it against what your own requirements are for money. How much do you need to survive and support what you want to support?
0: That's interesting that there's a, I think there's a great comparison with, with music, because again, you have this, the same pattern that you do in software engineering, where you have this skill, which is a controlled game that you can impact on your own and practice as a solo player as a single player but then you can go into multiplayer mode by moving up into the different types of and the genres of music or the different emotions that human beings have it's just that music isn't a commercial market it's an emotional market it's a human market but For engineering, it wouldn't make any sense necessarily for that to tap into an emotional market. So it taps into a commercial one somehow. I wonder,
1: like, why should the emotional market be more limited than an engineering one? I mean, there's a huge number of skilled people, but we know that it's difficult to achieve success financially in music. Is it that there's limited resources? I mean, I feel like so many people consume music. Hmm. But why should the um, the funding allocated to to, to pursuing it professionally be so limited by comparison?
0: Mm. Music's an interesting one because it it almost like you could you could argue that it's also a market um, in the same way that maybe you could argue that a commercial market is also emotional because we all want to pursue our best work and do things that are attached to humanity. But there's a there's a part of it where music. has been commoditized in certain places
1: yeah and the way that you commoditize it is that you you engage emotionally with the the listener right so the the emotional impact of the music has to be sufficient before it can become commercially viable yeah Um, whereas the commercial work doesn't need to be um uh viable emotionally that's not the first place you go it's finance yeah that's the first thing that's that's the most important is it going to make people money and like the investors are you know, a a good place for that, where they don't need to make an emotional decision. They can just rationalize themselves on their own experience.
0: Yeah, it's not even, it's not subjective at all. It's, has it made money? Yes or no. And therefore, like the capital allocation is far more accurate than it would be in music. Because in music, how do you allocate capital based off someone's subjective emotional reaction? To, to a performance
1: yeah and maybe the reason there's more scope for, for money in this engineering we're really spitballing here but maybe it's because uh, with music you're limited to emotional impact on the listener whereas with um, commercial products emotional impact is just a very small subset of all of the types of problems that you could be solving uh, you know, you can engineer a solution to problems of, um, you know, emotions, health. Uh, maybe it's getting to work on, mm-hmm. you know, using something like Google Maps. Maybe it's having a conversation over the internet, like we're having right now. There's all sorts of problem domains that you could tap into using the same set of of engineering skills. If
0: great work and finding your best work, and this is a pure assumption, if finding your best work somehow relied on you having a single player game that you could practice and it could be enjoyable enough for you that you would do it on its own, and that that combines with a wider market and the ability to be able to interact with others at the same time. Is there a case where you can have the second, but not the first? So can you do your best work without having a skill or a practice that you do every day can you have it without that?
1: Intuition is telling me that I don't think you can. I mean, f- from my perspective, a lot of meaning comes from practicing the skill and, and getting good at the skill um, itself. But I mean, no matter what task you're performing, you require a certain skill set to perform well. And I guess, in a sense, you're, you're practicing that skill set every time you tackle a problem. Um, I don't know if there's any work that uh, could be defined as not solving a problem. Um, or that rather that couldn't be defined as solving a
0: problem. This is in part because um, our biology and our, our evolution tells us that if we rub the sticks together, it creates fire. If we figure out how to create these tools somehow, then we will leverage ourselves and be better off and we will help other people. So we almost have this biological need to solve the micro problems and become good at A certain type of skill or weaving or hunting or and that that provides a certain amount of fulfillment fulfillment to us as human beings and without it we don't feel that part of the part of the pack
1: yeah it sort of makes sense from a sort of an evolutionary perspective like we we're, we're told that humans are like exceptional problem solvers but when you think about it we exist in a market of survival as well, so um, yeah at least that's where our biology has come from, so it makes sense that those who can solve problems better than others are inclined to survive, and so that propagates, and we all become the survivors become exceptional problem solvers mm-hmm. you know you marry Exceptional problem solving with the ability to share understanding and knowledge with the group. And all of a sudden, you know, you've uh, expanded the the number of people working on a problem to whatever limit you want to define. Mm. We now have like modern systems yeah. where it can be, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so, and, and that makes for a, a pretty winning combo, as we can see. Uh, uh, humans are doing pretty well from an evolutionary perspective.
0: At the core of problem solving is unhappiness because you are driven to see the flaw in something and to try and you're you're driven to worry you're driven to be skeptical uh you're driven to doubt and by doing so you can recognize the flaws in something and then hopefully make it better down the line how do we balance both being effective problem solvers at work, but also being happy. Yeah, because pursuit
1: of the, the, the problem is um, a sort of a symptom of dissatisfaction. If you were per- perfectly satisfied, you wouldn't change, you wouldn't pursue it.
0: It's, I'm gonna say his name completely wrong, and I've got his book here, and I can't even say it out loud. Mi- Mihaly Sh- Shizen Milichel oh my goodness that's absolutely awful okay it's is is flu is a have you ever read Flow by Michelle's whatever that second name is no <laughs> it's a a book about how you it, you can the there isn't this odd satisfaction in our working life where if we can find a problem that's in a goldilocks environment where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not so difficult that you look at it and you're petrified of it but it's more challenging than your current state Mm -hmm. then in some way perhaps you can get over that kind of innate unhappiness of solving problems if there's this natural element of growth uh if you can Pursue a project that is challenging, but in a way that once it's finished, and, and perhaps whilst it's happening, you feel like you are growing in in some way, and that yeah. maybe that growth kind of it 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 it
1: balances it out. So I maybe misunderstood the or misinterpreted the question a little bit. I think it's definitely possible to per, to, to um for to feel dissatisfaction without holding any emotional burden. You can feel um, like you haven't done your best work without feeling uh, bad about that state. You just know that there's more, and that's a sort of net positive experience. Um, You know, I'm here, and I don't feel unhappy with with where I am, but I know that there's more to go, and so that's a a motive to to keep pushing. So I don't think dissatisfaction is is unhappiness. I think you can in flow, like like you said, that's that's that exact state where you're you're moving towards. uh, solving something, the experience of just practicing a skill is enough to, um, sort of balance the, the, um, what you were saying about it not being so difficult that you feel disheartened and being difficult enough that it's, you, you get the joy of participating in it. I think that's definitely possible. And I guess that's sort of an ideal in terms of work life is, is seeking flow. Um, in terms of life balance. Uh, I think flow is an exceptional state to it, to experience, but perhaps not one to experience exclusively. Um, uh, the, one of the hallmark descriptions of flow is that you don't experience the time passing by, which seems like an awful injustice. You know, uh, yes, you've made something amazing, um, and you probably felt pretty good because of it, but you're missing a sliver of your life now. Uh, so maybe good if, if it's important and meaningful for you to create or pursue something, but not an exclusive state to, to exist in. I think I really enjoy, you know, that the alternative, which is what's it called? The kind of meditation where you are uh, focused on your just experiences and uh, mindfulness. I, I, I would feel that mindfulness is the opposite experience and, and that can be hugely, hugely enjoyable, but you're not creating
0: anything, you're just sort of sitting and experience, not very productive, perhaps. But really enjoyable. Are there any other states that you'd want to be in other than those two, in a mindful state or in a flow state? Are there any others that you would want to be in? I don't even know what the spectrum looks like. I don't know what the Mm. landscape looks like. It's easy to
1: compare them once they're sort of right in front of you. You know, you could definitely derive a a spectrum for sure. So you could start with with one on each extreme and, and look at states between, you know, when you're in conversation with someone it's maybe not flow, but it's it feels very comfortable. But you don't know what's going to come next. Um, and so, you know, just being sort of conscious of, of that, um, mm. that experience, you know, th- that's definitely possible. It's somewhere between the two.
0: Going back to flow state, mm-hmm. the flow state is going to be different for different people because their capacity for risk and their appetite for challenge will differ. How have you gone about figuring out what yours is? Like, do you have a working definition or or awareness of how much risk and challenge you want in order to get into that place
1: um it's hard to to come up with a definition i think because uh, oftentimes you just happen to cross flow you don't design it Uh, it's not something that you say i'm going to sit down and have flow state right now Mm. Uh, so usually it, it comes from uh the the environment that you find yourself in and you know, it's it's basically that uh, certainly in the problem-solving context that I find myself in professionally, it's usually a time when I'm able to address every unexpected problem uh, that comes my way with reasonably little effort. It's like, I know where to navigate this this unforeseen speed bump. I know what to do to to solve it. And and that keeps the, the train moving. That that maintains momentum. And so long as you always have another idea of, of where to take it, um, that can certainly feel like flow. Well, you could lose hours to, to that experience.
0: I think it's Chris Evans, uh, the radio DJ, who said something like, when he was resigning from BBC Radio 2, I remember being sat in a car park listening to him say it, and I was like crying my eyes out. He said something like, there are like two di- different types of people, someone who looks at a blank sheet of paper and gets excited. And someone who looks at a blank sheet of paper and who's petrified. I think that says a lot about your your flow state, perhaps, or at least how you want to challenge yourself. When you look at a blank sheet of paper, do you get scared or or do you does that does that either excite you or does it incite fear? From the problems that I'm
1: most practised with, a blank sheet of paper is a very difficult task to address but the kinds of tasks that I've often gotten the most enjoyment from have started with a, a blank piece of paper. Mm. Um, so it's kind of difficult to marry the two often because the skill set required to navigate it is is not very strong. So you're, you're less likely to reach flow. You're going to bump into a lot more uh, unaddressable problems, uh, but it can be a hell of a lot of fun.
0: There's something that's popped up a lot in these conversations is the community that's around development and the support especially online that you can get in order to help you through those moments has the development community helped you in a particular way so there's, there's
1: probably two first is direct and the second is is indirect direct has been actually just a community that i'm part of outside of with of coding um, which is the, the people that I know who are also coders themselves and, mm-hmm. and knowing somebody that you can, um, frequently uh, bounce questions off of is the an absolutely massive advantage. If, if you don't have that, it can be a lot more difficult. And that's probably why people praise the, the online community so well. People are working very hard to break down that difference. Build places, forums, communities where you can, uh, discords where you can talk about problems and uh, try find answers. But I find that the most um, beneficial experiences I've had have been um, the ones where I can talk to friends of mine and very quickly move through a problem. It's like when you're, you know, in the workplace, it's much faster, although it's more costly for the company to get several people talking about a problem and work through it. You know, you've got three or four devs now who are all working on a single problem rather than four in parallel, so it can be costly. But mm. if the problem is big enough, then it's warranted and you can move through something difficult very quickly. Um, alternatively, you're just on your own and you're looking for resources online, docs or whatever. Mm. Um, so that's that's the direct. The, the indirect is probably the incredible infrastructure that developers have created for learning coding. You know, um, it can be something as core as as docs. You know, documenting how to use a resource uh, is so important, and oftentimes done really, really well. Sometimes not so well, but oftentimes the things that I've I've used have been really well polished, and that's that's awesome. Um, but then there's also the the learning platforms. You know, I learned uh, primarily from Code Academy. That's an unbelievable resource. Where with no environment set up, I go to the internet and I can start coding in a Node environment or or using React or JavaScript. Uh, you literally just click the link and go. It's unbelievable that people have created these, and there's courses in everything, and they're all curated by different people. It's 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 amazing, and those things exist elsewhere. I mean, Discord, you could argue the same. Um, uh, it probably helps that software developers are the ones that are making resources for software developers. Just a bit. They have a, an unbelievable insight into the, the struggles that come with the territory. So it's pinpoint accurate uh, in terms of what you need to move fast. Um, and it's not to say that there's one mold for what it takes, but there's so many developers now working on these projects that they probably have most of the molds
0: read. Be interesting to see how history pans out and whether we look back on this time And if technology and uh, if every company does become a technology company over the next 20 years and and kind of the more old school industries do go away, it'd be interesting to look back and think how much of that was because the pace of learning for everyone to get up to speed in this new economy was so fast and so freely available Mm -hmm. because for the first time we were able to match the production of that learning environment with the the actual skill itself.
1: Of course, the other thing is not just creating a learning environment. I don't have to learn to code from scratch. I know nothing about how you know uh, machine code is interpreted by a CPU. Mm. It's abstracted away for me. So by building layers of abstraction that I, as a developer, no longer need to worry about, mm. I can sort of skip straight to the top. Which is yeah. what most people are doing when they come into code for the first time. So we're building infrastructure that allows us to to jump past a significant amount of, of hurdles, and I reckon that'll that'll continue.
0: What layers of abstraction would accelerate someone finding work?
1: I think we're already seeing some with with something like uh, LinkedIn or Cord. You um, reduce, or sorry, no, you eliminate the need for you to be near a company as you might have been. Um, Uh, in the past, you know, to literally deliver a a CV or or in the case of uh, remote work now to partake in an interview process or even to participate in work. Yeah, definitely um, in that capacity. And then there's also uh, what we're seeing in a lot of uh, domains, which I'm sure some companies are are, uh, attempting to leverage, which is um, machine learning and and AI. So predictive sort of algorithms, which might say uh, using some sort of statistical process, come up with recommendations um, you know, based on your information and your pursuits. And that doesn't tend to get worse with time. So I think that that'll certainly improve the two strongest ones that we're seeing right now.
0: And what layers of abstraction or perhaps even layers of infrastructure can we build in order to help individuals, not just kind of find work per se as the process of finding work and being able to talk to someone, for themselves too like what are we missing what are we not giving people that enables them to be able to truly find their best work i'm not sure
1: what the best technological creation is to solve that problem i think probably this is uh, an indication of my uh, current position in that pursuit myself uh, that mm. it still feels very early stages i've been doing it for a short amount of time and so discovering what that landscape looks like is difficult Uh, from my own perspective, in terms of self-discovery, never mind creating
0: a product that is Mm. well adjusted to the population at large. And the key bit there being self-discovery and how we can, and call as a good example, it's been difficult, but we can, with relative ease, build an infrastructure that enables the practical pursuit of work by building something on the internet that enables two people to talk to each other with the right type of predictions and and the right type of messaging but Mm -hmm. as soon as you move from that more kind of quantitative world to the qualitative which is how do you enable someone to self-discover meaning in work that is a a more a more tricky technological problem to solve because there are Mm -hmm. so many Independent variables that go into what that means for each individual person.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, this sounds like a problem reasonably well suited to machine learning if you could figure out how to collate the data, but um, from an outsider not being, not with any significant understanding of, of those systems, I would be wondering about. What are good predictive indicators of best work? You could think about history, the kinds of works that you've done in the past, but that might be a gross misrepresentation of the satisfaction that you got out of that. You know, if you're still pursuing it, you don't even know what kind of work you get the most out of. So now you've got to take a step back and 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 help that person on the journey of of self-reflection. What does it mean to question, you know, whether or not you you got satisfaction out of a certain work? Why didn't you? They can be really difficult questions to to parse out.
0: Yeah. And are we asking the question, are we enabling an individual to self-actualize and find work that's meaning to them? Or are we asking the question, what type of work could we all be doing to make our whole society better mm-hmm. as a result? Should the success be based on whether you feel self-actualized as an individual, perhaps in this kind of progressive uh life of abundance yes but as soon as that goes the opposite direction and life is more perilous and difficult then our self-actualization falls right down the down the priority list and instead we all as a society maybe we will look back and think actually why the hell were we so selfish we should have been yeah, focused yeah, yeah. on how to make the world better not ourselves what's this yeah and of course shit? that's sort of like
1: things going down the drain might be a direct result we, we don't know of say mass self-actualization perhaps the interests of the individual are quite at odds with the interests mm. of the population oftentimes they are it's like on on mass are they on total are they can you address those um systematically it, it sounds like a, a very difficult problem to be to be navigating around
0: yeah i feel like we've done it again i've loved this conversation it's been <laughs> ridiculously brilliant and uh same yeah thanks yeah, loved it. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at Cord.co slash insights.